Mark got in a run. I was probably on my second run, and I got halfway up to mid-station, and I looked behind me, and what's coming in back of me is Towers 1, Towers 2, and what was the bull wheel at the time, which was a rim off of a... Um, Tree. off of a tree they were coming up the hill they were coming up the hill and i had to quickly bail out unfortunately a lot of the rope got wound up and shut the truck off it stalled out not going to be all snow a wintry mix is forecast for the listening area Remix 28. My name is Alex Kaufman. I am coming to you from the Taconics. I am east of the Catskills. I am north of New York City. I am south of Albany. And I'm at the base of a ski area you've probably never skied and you probably won't ever ski. It's called Polar Peak and it's a family operation by invite only in a former cow pasture built and run by a couple of brothers who do it as a hobby. It's got snowmaking, it's got grooming, it's got a Summit Express, AKA rope toe. And we're gonna find out how they did it and what they do with it and how you could do one yourself. You probably can't, but you can dream. Stay with us. Season two of Wintry Mix is presented by Intopia. Hold on a second, what is Intopia? It's a fair question, Alex. Let's ask the team. Intopia is here to help you sell more and better vacations. Intopia is not a ski resort. Intopia is helping our partners succeed in the ever-changing world of e-commerce. Really good at Mario Kart. Intopia is trusted by ski areas, golf courses, water parks, and more. Intopia is focused on customer service. Let's go ahead and update that price point. And now I'm seeing that product online. Can you confirm you're seeing the same thing on your end? Intopia is headquartered in Stovermont, where I drink most of my seltzer. International. Named Outside Magazine's 100 Best Places to Work. Intopia is dog friendly. Intopia is working hard but having fun. Es un grupo de amigos. Intopia is always looking for great coders. Designed to be flexible to adapt to ever changing e commerce technologies. Intopia is going to stop talking now. Visit us at intopia.com. All right, and we are back from the base of Polar Peak. Uh, what's our elevation here, gentlemen? 546 feet above sea level. So that puts our summit at? 660 feet above sea level. So you got 100 feet of vert here. Yeah, a good 114 vertical feet of nonstop skiing. Hi, I'm Mark Harishko. Hi, I'm Tom Harishko. Take me back to day one. Was this here when you were born or did you guys kick this off yourselves? Basically, this all started uh, as a hobby back when we were in high school, right around 1991. Uh, we went to school in Hudson, and uh, we were about 15 to 20 miles away from school, and uh, it was a little bit uh, too far for us to go back in and do after-school activities. So we started out uh, skiing at nearby Catamount, and then we moved on to uh, just practicing in our grandmother's backyard and slowly moved up onto the, uh, the ski area that we have today. Uh, we have a rope toe, it's about 385 feet long, going up the 114 vertical feet. 
Uh, and we get a, uh, it's powered by a gas drive. It actually came from uh, Hunter Mountain uh, when they removed their rope toes. Uh, we took their old rope toe components and modified it to a gas drive. We used to run uh, the rope toe off a truck, and now it's uh, driven by a 13 horsepower gas, uh, gas engine, it's extremely efficient. We might use one to two gallons of fuel for an eight, eight hour day. Is that drive at the uh, base or the summit? The drive is at the summit. Uh, the bull wheel down at the base here is also from Hunter, but we believe that came off of a Poma lift uh, that they probably removed back in the 80s or 90s. Uh, is there kind of an annual budget that you guys have at all? We spend about, on average, $2,000 a year. That covers fuel for the lift, snow making, grooming, all of that kind of stuff that uh, takes us through the course of a year, which lasts anywhere from October right until May, June. So if you started in 1991, when do you think you kind of got it going well? Like how many years did it take of kind of trial and error before you kind of felt like you had it figured out? We probably had it going really well after about three or four years, but as we've gone along, we've really brought the components that we wanted probably in the last, I'd say, five years. We've really dialed in our snowmaking. We've dialed in our grooming. We've done a lot of work down at the base area, just trying to bring a lot of the different aspects of the ski hill together. So while we started in the 90s, it wasn't until we had careers, had a little bit more fun playing money that we could actually put the money back into snowmaking, back into grooming, back into the facilities where we could just sort of kick back, relax, and enjoy what we have. So as we stand here, we're looking up at Polar Peak. We're about 100 yards off from the road to uh, quiet down the traffic a bit. Um, do you guys mark this out as some kind of trail map? I mean, do we have trails here? Help me with what I'm looking at. We do. We have 10 different slopes ranging anywhere from beginner to expert. Everything um, above the, our, what our, is our mid-station, which is halfway up, which is about 30 vertical feet, is generally easier terrain. We also have a quarter-mile trail we call Polar Run. Everything here at Polar Peak pretty much has an Arctic theme. So we have Polar Run, Polar Bear, Tundra Tubing, everything, uh, our Polar Run slope is easier than everything above mid-station. is a little bit steeper, so a lot of that's intermediate and advanced level uh, terrain. Um, we have one slope that we call Arctic Alley, and that is where we're at the base of right at this moment. How much random jealousy do you guys get from people who wish they have, you know, people talk about, oh, I want to make a ski hill in my backyard. That would be really cool. You guys actually did it. I mean, do you realize how many people have that dream, but how few actually do it? Does that ever really cross your mind? We do. And we, we get a lot of emails from around the world and we have a lot of people stopping by that want to ski here. It's really tough because of the liability concerns. We hate turning people away, but it's something that we have to do. Um, but it is interesting to hear from people from around the world at generally asking us questions on how we did the rope toe or how we did snowmaking. Cause when we first started making snow, we, we started out by building our own guns and now we're kind of transitioning into more efficient uh, snow making process. We've uh, been using the Ratnik uh, X2 baby snow giants and we can make a lot more snow a lot more efficiently in a shorter amount of time. Take me back to when you first tried to make a snow gun. There's, there's got to be some trial and error going on there. 
Yeah, that's an interesting story. That all started uh, back when we were still skiing in my, in my grandmother's backyard. That only had about a vertical drop of 10 or 15 feet. We had a couple seasons where we weren't having very much natural snowfall. So we started out basically with a garden hose trying to make ice and then we'd crush it up uh, with a roller. <laughs> and then uh, my dad had the idea of trying a, pre a pressure washer. And at a, an extremely cold temperature, we were getting crystallization. But uh, we started messing around with some plumbing pipes and components in our shop at the farm. And uh, it all started actually by accident. We had a hose blow out of one of the concoctions that we were putting together. And we started actually having decent crystallizations coming out of about a 3 8 inch pipe. And from there, we just basically modified that into our P4000 snow guns. We got a, uh, I think it was in 1993 or 94, we got an industrial uh, 185 CFM jackhammer compressor. And that's when we started making snow up here on the, uh, on the big hill. So your most productive season, how deep are you guys laying it? How wide are you guys laying it? How many gallons are you, uh, are, are you doing? Do you know that? Well, last year, uh, not this past season, but the ski season of 2014-2015 was probably the most snow that we've ever made. And I think we put a total of about 50 hours of snowmaking in. And we had a base depth on our lower glade slope of about 16 feet deep. It was about 40 feet wide, 200 to 250 feet long on that slope. Generally on uh, the rest of the area that we do cover with snowmaking, which is about an acre, we'll cover anywhere with, uh, between six to six inches to a foot um, but we had snow here basically after April 1st what we'll do is go into a uh, snow conservation mode with uh, bringing out hay and silver reflective tarps and we were actually able to conserve the snow last year until July 8th. Is it the latest you've ever had snow up here? That's the latest we've ever had snow, and we've had uh, we were able to make snow as early as September 29th before, but we wasn't enough to ski on. Uh, I think it was 1996. Uh, we were able to produce enough snow to ski on. Uh, it was October 5th, 1996, I believe, and that was the earliest that we ever made snow when we're skiing here at Polar Peak. So, guys, this is I mean, as I look at it here, without the lift, it's it's a glorified sledding hill. I mean, we, you know, granted, um, but obviously good, good pitch there in the middle. What was this before it had a lift on it? This was a farm? What's going on here? It used to be a pasture on our family's farm. We used to pasture out heifers because the hill just above the uh, mid area was too steep to really cut the hay or even plant any corn. So we used to just graze heifers here all summer long. And then during the winter, we'd you turn it into a ski uh you know the ski hill and then one year we finally talked my dad into not using it so we could just build work on the lift work on grooming out the trails so we could ski on less and less snow we had a big problem when we were starting out when the cows were still pasturing that they were rubbing up against our original lift towers and eating through fences and basically just making uh, craziness of what we were trying to accomplish. So every year we had to go back and redo what we did the year before, before we could get to the uh, get the ski season going. We also had to fill in some uh, hoof prints and uh, constantly we were fixing cow pies um, that we were busting our skis on during the course of the winter. And fixing them basically just means picking them up. Picking them up and uh, trying to level them out. <laughs> the ones you can't pick up, you just try to smooth them out so they're not so abrupt when you hit them. Exactly, exactly. Very nice. So what, what direction are we facing right now? Is this east-ish? We're, we're looking which way? 
We are facing east, which makes Polar Peak kind of an interesting, um, you know, area because a lot of the hill actually faced southwest, which is anybody in ski country knows is about the worst possible combination you could have. But we had to work with what we had on the farm. So we decided, all right, between going into snow preservation, making snow, figuring out how to pack it down, groom it, preserve it, we make the southwest exposure work. And once we we get past you know mid-january it's really it's really a nice hill to ski because you always have the sun what's what's the busiest day in the history of polar peak i think we uh would probably say that our busiest day was around june 7th of last year uh we had a uh, birthday party for my son it was his third birthday party and we probably had about 30 or 40 people out here uh it was mostly uh sledding on about a 200 foot long uh run that was about 30 feet wide uh, from the snow that we conserved from the previous winter. But that's probably about the most people that we've ever had out here. It's generally two to five to maybe 10 people on an extremely busy day during the winter. And uh, But yeah, that's that's what I would say was our busiest day in the history of Polar Peak. You ever tried to seed any moguls on that puppy? We did. Um, when we make a lot of snow, usually in uh, January, February, Mark and I or even some of our neighbors will just then hit a line constantly. And when you have about 10 feet of snow, you can make a pretty impressive mogul field. It's not wide, but it's, you know, one decent run. You can really have an enjoyable time on it. All right, guys. Well, let's let's start our little walk-in tour here and head back towards, what do we have? A base lodge, we got some chairs, we got the uh, bottom of the Summit Express, and uh, looks like a storage shed of sorts and maybe a maple syrup cooking area, I'm not really sure. <laughs> we'll be right back here on Wintry Mix, stay tuned. Pardon me while I pay my electric bill real quick. Wintry Mix also has support from Ski Vermont. Visit SkiVermont.com for all the latest on adventure in the Green Mountain State in winter and summer. We also want to thank Snowbird Utah, located 30 minutes from Salt Lake City International Airport. Visit Snowbird.com to get your western itinerary set for next season. They also get 500 inches of snow. Also want to thank the ski areas of Peak Resorts, including Jack Frost, Big Boulder, Hunter Mountain in New York, Mount Snow in Vermont, Atatash and Wildcat in New Hampshire. From horseback riding to brew fest to music festivals, all that and more, check out peakresorts.com for the summer. And it's almost time to offer up some fine gear from LL Bean. Follow the Wintry Mix on social media to be in the game. All right, let's get back to Polar Peak. Welcome back to Wintry Mix 28 from the base of Polar Peak. There's two primary buildings here in the base area, what looks to be a base lodge, um, maybe 30 square feet, and uh, a, a storage shed, which probably holds all of our racing equipment and things like that. So um, appropriate for the size of the mountain. Should we check out the uh, base lodge first, guys? Yes, sure. no, a funny story about the base lodge is that it's actually built on a chuck wagon. So anybody that's into farming knows for feeding cattle, you have what's called a chuck wagon, which is a wagon that is um, that has a, a, a chain basis that moves a feed out for silage. The what we call our base lodge, we call Corinthia base lodge, it has a Corinthia style roof, I guess, and it has a frame component that is actually a wagon. So when Mark and I started building the lodge back in 19, I believe it was 92, this is actually on the frame of a John Deere 125 chuck wagon. And uh, Mark, have you ever moved it? 
We moved it, what, maybe twice yeah, in? Once or twice, I think, in the last uh, 26 years. Uh, we moved it once to expand onto it. Uh, we just did the deck that we're standing on right now back in 2010. And uh, we like to uh, keep the aesthetics of the original lodge. We've thought about rebuilding something a little bit more modern, but I think uh, for the most part, we're going to just keep maintaining this and keep the, uh, uh, keep the aesthetics of it. Seems to be functional. Is there a heat source in there? We, uh, yeah, we do use a kerosene, uh, basically just a simple kerosene heater. Uh, it's a non-insulated building, but uh, when we're making snow down here uh, overnight, we'll usually pull a 12-hour shift and we'll sleep right here in the lodge with the kerosene, uh, kerosene heater going all night. All right, let's, let's get inside this thing. I want to see how, how this thing works. All right, so we're standing on the deck of the base lodge. Um, and when I say base lodge, as we learned, it's on it's on a chuck wagon. Kind of looks like an oversized chicken coop. <laughs> Is this thing ready? What do we got? Yeah, we're ready to go. Just watch out for hornets. You never know what you're going to find as you walk in the door during the summer. Yeah. Looks like we can go free and clear in here. Oh yeah. Uh, we end up with a couple mouse uh, creatures that wander around. But we also have our lift tickets. So we have our little weather station. We have a snow at home wet bulb temperature chart, which tells us what kind of snow we're going to make as we follow the relative humidity temperature. We've got Polar Peak official lift tickets. What? What are you, what are you talking about? Where'd you get these? These things we actually had made up out in California. Um, they were, when we were doing, I think, one of Zeke's birthday parties, we were looking for something for an invite. So as a gag, we made up lift tickets, and uh, they've become popular. Everybody loves them, so whenever they come out um, snow tubing or the few folks that come out skiing um, that we're either friends with or related to, they have to get an official Polar Peak lift ticket every year. So you guys rock out once in a while based on those things. We rock out. We have some, uh, Mark set up a stereo system here that we can either run the FM radio or we can also run our XM, uh, Sirius XM system, play some jam on or something like that. Oh my gosh. Look at these guys. The Polar Peak Trail Mapping Guide. When did you make this? We made that about three years ago. Um, we started somewhere deep in that pile of stuff is our first attempts at maps back from the 1990s with the old dot matrix printers. This thing, I found a deal somewhere online and uh, we created the trail map and we hand them out every once in a while, especially when people have questions, you know, about what we are and stuff like that. You know, it says that we're private, so... You know, we're not open to the public or any of that kind of fun stuff. But it's fun. We have friends over. They love to see the map and take a look at everything. And uh, we also have uh, our trail maps for everybody. So this is not the trail map, or this is this is the trail map. That is okay, the I didn't know if you I didn't know map. if you were making two pieces of collateral, no, no, guys. I was that. gonna have to call you out on overkill if there was two pieces. <laughs> All right, let's step out of there. It's warm in there. So we got the Polar Peak Trail map in hand here. Uh, so you know, guys, we got the Polar Drop, double black diamond. Looks like skiers left of the Summit Express. Tell me about that puppy. Polar Drop, we uh, rated Double Diamond. It's one of the steeper trails on the hill. It's also got a fence nearby, so it's very, very narrow. When we do have a good amount of snow, it drifts in, so you can get waist to chest deep snow up there and make some decent lines and make a decent mogul field up there. So it takes a little bit more skill. We figured we'd rate it Double Diamond. Where do you guys store the snowcat? Well, actually, the snowcat, it's an interesting story. We got that from a, an old Nelsap ski area up in 
Vermont called Pine Mountain. And we picked that up right around in 2010 also. It's a work in progress. Uh, we store that over at our shop right now. And um, we're, we're planning within the next couple of years to do a complete restoration on it. It's a 1977 Thiokol Packmaster. And we kind of think its original home was up at Pico. Fantastic. Let's go check out the uh, Summit Express, guys. The Summit Express actually has a story to it. When we first created the Summit Express, it was in March 1991. And the original lift ran off of a 1978 Ford F-150. Well, when we first set it up, we didn't run it in reverse. We ran it in either first or second gear. So the thing flew at 10 miles per hour and you'd rip through a pair of leather gloves in a day. So the name Summit Express came from going 10 miles an hour up the hill. So you guys have slowed that down. You've, you've been able to gear it down a bit? Yes. Now with the new uh, drive system that we, we have up top, we can pretty much control it to any speed that we need. If we're trying to teach somebody that's never skied before, we can slow the uh, the rope speed down to a crawl. Uh, you know, when it's just me and Tom, we kind of crank it up a little bit so we can get as many runs in as possible. What's this rope grade like? That rope that we're looking at right now is the original rope from Hunter Mountain that we got back in the early 90s. And uh, that's scheduled to be replaced this season. Uh, so that rope lasted almost uh, 30 years. Yeah. So we have the rope already at the shop. We're just, we're, we're leaving this rope intact for two reasons. We're gonna try and start making snow in October. So we wanna have the lift ready to go for that. We're just waiting for the right weather opportunity. Cause we wanna get at least one or two days in in early October. And then what we're gonna do to, to run the new rope line, we'll weave it into this old rope line, run the drive and it'll, it'll basically uh, uh, fish itself into place. So this bottom bull wheel, all this concrete, you guys poured this? Yeah, there's seven yards of concrete in there and we fabricated all the metal uh, framework for the Poma, um, the Poma bull wheels. But it's actually, instead of sitting horizontally, we've got the Poma bull wheel sitting vertically and use it as a return sheave for the uh, rope toe. That is so amazing, guys. You just had your 25th anniversary, if I'm counting right. Yes, yes. We're in our 26th season. We gotta, we're going to be building a pond. Do you want to talk? I can talk to you. Oh, wow. You're building, like, for, for water? Uh, we're going to go about 10 feet deep, uh, about 40 feet wide, 80 feet long. Hope to get about 300,000 gallons of water storage. Uh, we only use about 50,000 gallons a night uh, for our snowmaking system right now. And typically, we only make snow about three or four nights a season. Yeah, you guys just wait until it's five degrees with no wind and, and wait for the perfect situation i would assume you're, you're not running and gunning like killington or mount snow or hunter no no we're not making the superstar glacier that's for sure however um we try to get the best possible temperature relative humidity and wind combination we possibly can as we're getting older and we're really enhancing the snowmaking system one of the things that's important is easy fire up and easy shut down trying to be able to get all the equipment on and off the hill quickly and being able to fire up you know at a moment's notice and shut down at a moment's notice because the winds can really turn around here really fast and at that point we want to be shut down close everything down let the snow set up so we can enjoy it either the next day or later that day it's pretty funny so all the resorts are focusing on efficiency because it costs them so much money 
but you guys are focusing on efficiency because it costs you guys so much time. <laughs> Absolutely. And what's funny is um, as we're getting older, our backs aren't as strong. Um, you know, it's, uh, when we used to be able to work out here during the middle of the night, one, two o'clock in the morning, didn't really have to worry so much about work the next day. Didn't really have to worry about trying to bug lug all this heavy equipment up by ourselves or a, a pump. If a pump froze up or a line froze up, so be it. Now uh, we're really focusing on efficiency just because we're getting old. All right, guys, you've been working on this thing together for decades here. What's the thing you guys fight about the most about it? You got it. You got, there's got to be things you guys just constantly butt heads on on this thing. Uh, a brotherly endeavor such as this. Come on. I think one of the things we argue about is when we're going to make snow. Uh, Mark has a better idea on having a good intuition on a window of opportunity. Um, a lot of times I'll either be gung-ho or be like, nah, this isn't the right time. And I'm almost always wrong. <laughs> Have you run into any issues with like the town or, uh, you know, people basically saying, you guys can't do this thing out here because blah, 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 blah. They love it. You just get honks all day, don't you? Yeah, Ab much. absolutely. We slow down traffic quite a bit during the winter as people watch us ski too. But uh, with the town, not so much. They're very receptive. Um, people are really, you know, people are really great around here in that respect. Uh, you know, we're very, we have a very open door policy. We let everybody know what exactly we're doing. We have the website, we have the Facebook. Anybody has questions about it, we invite them over to take a look for themselves. And really, the big thing is it's so small. I think, you know, one of the biggest fears in this area especially is any kind of urban sprawl or taken away from the rural agricultural um, component of the community. There'll never be a resort hotel here. There'll probably never be a high-speed quad or a chairlift. I see lights so this is night skiing right? Yes we have on on all of the lift towers here we have uh, night skiing lights top to bottom. We can uh, either ski from the base to mid station or we can turn on all the lights right to the summit. Um, and like I said, on the first two towers, we have a stereo system and that's all um, controlled right from the base lift shack down here. If you had it to do over again, what would you guys do differently? Jeez, I think um, maybe we would start it slower. We would uh, probably focus first on snowmaking, really dialing that in, and uh, take a little bit more time with the lift. The lift was really something that has taken probably a good 15 years. We got the, a lot of the components from Hunter Mountain. They were excellent uh, with you know helping us out with getting things started, but really dialing that in um, has taken time, and now we've gotten that to the part. Uh, point where we're happy with it so probably you know focusing more on snowmaking from the beginning and then focusing on the lift rock and roll is that uh is, is that the family unit over there yes that's my wife jess and uh our son zeke jess i have one question you gotta you gotta answer for me if you're not afraid hi jess i'm alex kaufman nice to meet you nice to meet you so um just generally one question for you this hobby the amount of hours how many hours does he sink into this every year <sighs> And tell me the truth. It's okay. <laughs> How many hours does it feel like he puts into this every year? A lot. But it's his passion. So, um, you know, we all get to, we all benefit from his hours that he does put in. Get your ski rack over there. Look at that. Of course you do. Did you guys ever have any moments where you're like, I'm not sure if we can do this. You know, maybe this isn't all worth it. You know, what were we thinking? 
Those have never happened? How have those never happened? No, you know, I guess we always looked at this as uh, something we were going to just make happen right from day one. I think when we first started, people thought we were crazy and they're like, absolutely no way possible. But I think after a couple nights of us seeing us playing with water in the middle of January at 15 to 20 degrees below zero, they figured, all right, these guys are serious about this. They might be crazy, but they're committed. Yes. And I think a lot of people, uh, the, the one thing that makes people think we're crazy right now is our snow conservation, uh, because that does take a tremendous amount of work getting the snow covered up. We put about one to two feet of hay over our lower gla lower glade slope. And like I said, we started last year around around April 1st, I think. And we had about 16 feet of, uh, of base depth up there. So it took quite a bit of hay, struggling with the tarps to get everything into position and then uncovering it just about every other weekend from April right on through till June. Also, oh, you were able to uncover it multiple times. It wasn't just once at the end. So where do you guys shred? Anywhere other than here? Is it, is it Polar Peak or Bust, or, or do you ever hit, hit the bigger hills? Or is, or is this is this big enough for you? Well, you know, the one thing with skiing Polar Peak is that it is short. So you're used to running a very short amount of time, but you're getting in 100, 200 runs a day. I'd like to go to Killington, Hunter, Mount Snow, but, you know, your body needs a little bit more conditioning for those long mountain runs. Um, so it's an interesting thing that your body feels when you're going someplace else, but we definitely like to get out. And we also get different ideas, whether it's something that we see where they're making snow, you know, an idea that they have for equipment, What's the latest technology? Now that everybody's running the Snow Logic or HKD guns, you know, we like to see what the new technology is out there. So it's a chance for us to get out and really see what everybody else is kind of doing and gives us kind of ideas for the future. The funny thing, too, is in this general area, um, there used to be, I think, around three or four rope tow hills. Private, they were private ski areas back in the 60s and 70s that existed right in this county um, prior, you know, probably prior to the 70s. So within a good 15, 20 mile range, there was four places that were much like this. Um, you know, obviously they didn't have snowmaking or a lot of the technology that's available now but skiing was much larger um, and the hills were much smaller. So we kind of got some of the idea from that when we first started. We, we really looked into the history of where skiing was when we first started in 1991. And the original model for Polar Peak was based off of that. Yeah, I mean, this is a throwback to what skiing used to be in this area completely. Basically, exactly. The only thing that we do different is we make snow. Our grooming is still rudimentary for the most part. And uh, we really operate on a shoestring budget. Uh, you know, we're really um, dependent on what mother nature throws us probably more so than almost anybody else for skiing. This brochure is pretty impressive, gentlemen. <laughs> let me see. Let me let me just run some folks through it. Here we go. Vertical drop, 110 feet, 10 slopes plus one bowl. The Yukon Park, one lift, longest run, quarter mile, season, October to May. All right, guys. So what you need to do is, is one of these years, just to needle Sunday River in Killington, do what Woodbury does, <laughs> and play the game. Get in the game here. Call yourself open and beat everybody on the East Coast, okay? That's... I, I think you've got it in you. We're going to try it this year. Like you say, we want to get an early uh, test in once we get the new pond uh, in place and, and a new snowmaking shop going. But uh, as long as it's done by October, we're going to be firing up on the first cold night. All right, guys. Well, good luck with your pond, okay? Thank, Thank you very much. much. That's awesome. 
It's okay to admit, you've always wanted to have a little ski area on your little farm that you could do anything you wanted with all the time. Well, these brothers did all that and more. They got snowmaking, they got grooming, they got lights here at Polar Peak. They're building a snowmaking pond next, and who knows what after that. This has been Wintry Mix number 28. Subscribe on iTunes to uh, make sure you catch the next ones and go back through the catalog. Uh, next time you're traveling, you can binge on season one and season two. Wintry Mix has support from Vermont Public Radio and their members, and we have production help from Liam Connors and Angela Evansy. Our theme music is by Adam Levy, and you can hear more of his music on our website at wintrymixcast.com. Follow the show on social media for your chance to win gear from L.L. Bean here during Season 2. That's all for today, folks. I'm Alex Kaufman, and we will catch you on number 29. Hi, there go, there go the, they're Polar Peak fans. Absolutely. I was going up and I get almost halfway to mid-station. I look behind me. Oh, my bad. <laughs> That's totally my fault.